You're listening to Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with me, Melissa Gonzalez. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Retail Refined, a market scale podcast with your host, me, Melissa Gonzalez. Today, we have Michael Culinary, Vice President of Retail, Restaurant, and Hospitality at AT&T. He is a professional with 25 years of management experience across a broad range of communication technologies. As a senior manager, executing transformative organizational change and developing high-performance teams, leading organizations covering enterprise markets. He has demonstrated abilities creating and implementing innovative strategic plans, combining technical understanding with communications, organizational structure, and processes that produce bottom line results. A proven leader with strong communication skills, effective personal coaching capabilities, and exceptional results, I'm excited to dive into today's conversation. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I gave a super high level vice president of retail, restaurant, and hospitality at AT AT&T, but why don't you tell our audience a little bit more about your role at your organization? So I run our practice in the enterprise global business sales organization, meaning that I have a team of people that work specifically with uh, the vertical industries I'm responsible for. Retail makes up 65% of my business globally. And so virtually all major retailers and the technology that we deliver are out into the enterprise market space tailored specifically for retail. So in other words, we deliver a set of services out into the enterprise space, but I've got a team that really kind of focuses specifically on how those capabilities lend themselves relevant to uh, the retail business. And we have a pretty strong market share, particularly in the Fortune 100 in retail and across a wide variety of services. So you'll think of that in terms of uh, foremost infrastructure, I am a communications and connectivity uh, company, but then you look at all the applications that would go on top of that. So think about the consumer journey from inquiry, whether that's at home or remote, on any sort of device with any sort of access in over the internet or through e-commerce or other search capabilities. And then that full journey to sampling merchandise, purchasing it in a variety of different ways, the media that would interface, whether that's point of sale, digital signage, anything that's transactional in the revenue exchange or the exchange of money and product, the supply chain that supports that, the consistency of a, a technology esoteric across a footprint of stores, even though stores may have different footprints, but making sure that the brand has a consistent digital experience, that's all within the context of what my organization delivers. Okay, well, that's very comprehensive. So I think we're going to have a lot to dig in on. As part of a recent analyst day, AT&T shared long-term goals to bring AT&T's you know, secure 5G network to, to more consumers, businesses, first responders. Um, and that's spanning everything from sports and venues and entertainment, travel and transportation. Can you tell us a little bit more about this? 5G is widely expected to be a communications platform on top of which a lot of technology will ride, for lack of a better word, right? So we traditionally have a wireline business and also a mobility business. We am referring to the industry and as more and more activity, particularly consumer proficiency, moves to wireless, the demand on that network continues to expand. And when you take that a step further and think about the uh, heavy demand for both bandwidth and latency, so performance of 
applications, whether that's video or cash transactions or search and exchange and the different activities that would occur in a consumer's life cycle with a retailer, the 5G network is going to fuel all of that and add quite a bit of context in terms of richness and what both businesses and consumers can experience just by virtue of the speed and the clarity. So how do you see like the expansion of that and looking at consumers increased digital fluency, right? And the change, what do you think that opens up in terms of the possibility of retail in your eyes? Well, first of all, you hit on something really significant and that is that consumer proficiency with technology was already moving pretty quickly. Once we all became uh, sequestered during mm-hmm. the pandemic, a couple of things happened. There was already a rapid learning curve. And with consumers highly dependent on that, we all got even more proficient, not to mention expectant for digital capability and fast real-time response. But even what I would refer to as the peripheral demographics, so think pre-K and very senior demographics that were not quite as proficient became even more proficient. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that in uh, with the senior communities with uh, you know uh, pharmacy and fulfillment and uh, consistency and the ease of uh, refills, et cetera, and not, as well as the transaction and ordering and telemedicine. And in pre-K, certainly school, you know, one of the hardest challenges was getting a five-year-old to sit and do preschool from a laptop. Oh, that's been uh, my daughter for the past year, so. <laughs> so you understand perfectly, and I have complete empathy for that. While I didn't go through that myself, preschool and kindergarten, the whole point is socialization. When you all of a sudden you're doing that behind a laptop, that's creating a new digital native and a proficiency with technology that we hadn't catered to as a specific demographic necessarily in the past. No, absolutely. It is interesting how the different generations are going to evolve out of this. When my phone rings, you know, so Oompa calls from from Texas and I answer the phone, my five-year-old daughter thinks my phone's broken because she cannot see him because it's not a phone call if she can't see him in a video. So um, Great, great example. Great example. I remember when, now this is dating myself, but not that much, (laughs) when the iPhone first came out. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was, you know, a single device that had context, camera, telephone, video in one. So when you go back to that, just locate yourself there. And it's not that long ago. Different demographics looked at that differently. The vast majority of the consumer public thought, wow, this is cool. It's all consolidated in one device. Look at all the things it can do. The youngest demographics had a different response. They looked at that capability and immediately started to intuit what it doesn't. Interesting. And it's significant because when you relate it to what we're just referring to in today's situation, where all of a sudden you have really young consumers with developing digital proficiency, their needs and their demand are what we need to pay attention to most because that will drive the technology evolution going forward. That's a growing population that's going to step up and their needs and their interests and what they intuit, again, will become what's prevalent in technological development in the not too distant future. No, absolutely. So what do you see are some of the possibilities in the future? You know, it could be near term and long term in terms of like experiential and more immersive retail as we talk about this growth of a more digitally intuitive consumer. 
First of all, I think we have to acknowledge that cleanliness, sanitation have become heightened in the last year for everyone globally. And I don't anticipate that that is going to fade away. It may alleviate itself a little bit, but I don't anticipate that that's going to shrink away in any shape or form or disappear, I should say. So when you think about, first of all, the cashless transactions are probably not only here to stay, but they're now permanent. Exchange of money and hand-to-hand and even handing your credit card over, doing anything, putting it in someone else's hands, that's gone. Yeah. So if you think about extrapolating that out into the future, how are we going to make that even more seamless and more easy? We've already got swipe with credit cards. Matter of fact, it's been broad in Europe and Asia for years before here in the United States, but even now, so that really just expedite that capability. When you think about apparel and the fact that we've already got magic mirrors or you know, mm-hmm. digital capabilities where you don't actually have to try on clothing and you can uh, just scan devices or look at them online and then appear to have them on yourself, change color, change patterns, change uh, tailoring, et cetera, uh, much more seamless. That digital interface is bound to continue to expand, not only in terms of adoption and popularity, but think about where you can go from there to becoming your own one-off designer et cetera, by depending on how flexible the retailer is going to be with the capability they give you once you can monitor yourself just digitally. When you look at uh, entertainment, same type of thing, we're going to see capabilities for experiences in retail stores that we hadn't seen in the past. So when you, you know, I can invent some things where you start thinking about just a whale breaching in the middle of the store floor uh, uh, digitized, right, in a marine uh, or boating store, something where, you know, the context would be relevant for what's actually on sale there. And being able to digitize those kinds of experiences, whether either holographically or experientially on screens, um, the bandwidth required to do that is enormous. And we're going to start to see experience explosion with digital and, and examples like that. We'll start to see This is where your comment first around um, consumer proficiency really becomes significant because you're going to see retailers start to cater to what's considered micro moments. So just individual moments in a consumer's day and how do you target the different consistencies of those moments and digital will become and all of these capabilities that 5G deliver will become really incredibly supportive of those types of innovations. And then uh, lastly, I'll also say the integration of your social context, whether that's social media or even the tracking of the media that you allow your preferences to be associated with. So uh, media you consume, uh, relationships that you have, merchandise that you either browse or look at, you already see that in artificial intelligence, right? Where you start getting pinged uh, by things that you might've been looking for, you even spoke about when you are near your uh, digital assistant, et cetera, all those capabilities start to coalesce and create the new retail environment that retailers are very anxious to be able to deliver uh, in an effort to differentiate their brand. No, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up the bandwidth, right? I mean, we sit in the heart of experiential retail, you know, at at the Lioness Group, and we've done these amazing pop-ups. We did one where Sally Hansen launched their augmented reality app and we had this vision we'd have scannable walls and we had to we had to like do a fire drill to get an antenna on the roof 
just so people could download enough, but you know, so so that they could put the app on their phone to be able to interact with this. And the seamlessness of that can make or break these experiences, right? And really open up what's possible or not possible. Absolutely, because now you're commenting on two things. Number one, trend in terms of demand for technology. And historically, it does take some time to build those kinds of capabilities, particularly when you refer to an antenna on a roof. That's not an overnight installation, but demand is up and impatience is also up. Uh, So we got to figure out how to deliver. We as an industry have to figure out how to deliver that more quickly. And then to your point around the performance of that technology becomes a critical subcomponent of the brand because consumers aren't going to tolerate a lousy experience. The brand certainly is going to tolerate a lousy experience and they will appear as and also ran in the digital world if they're offering experiences that really don't come to real uh, fruition. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's one of those, I think, underestimated critical points towards success. The other thing is that we've seen, you know, really take off through through the past 12 months is flexible fulfillment. And so I'm wondering too, what role does 5G play in supporting this heightened need for supply chain accuracy, really helping brands and retailers meet their customers where they need to be met when we're talking about the growth of flexible fulfillment? Absolutely. So supply chain is one of the hottest topics, if you will, in retail because it was impacted so severely by the pandemic. And what that turned into is a need for diversity, number one, because um, all supply chains became strained uh, in the last year, but that slowed the rest of the economy down. So it was a critical bottleneck. And um, retailers who had streamlined their supply chain uh, and all of a sudden became uh, isolated are now looking for different methods to make sure that they've got a constant flow of merchandise and a capability to deliver no matter what kind of uh, curveball the market or the environment may throw at them. So this flexibility piece that you're referring to also insinuates that not only do I want to have um, alternate channels for fulfillment, I want to be able to flex in a constant dynamic world where we now live in immediate expectation digital proficiency with the consumer or the customer and real-time expectations. And the fact is that everything we're talking is all about speed and about latency. Mm -hmm. So you have to have the infrastructure to be able to carry that. The infrastructure has to perform. And then the capabilities that you can put on top of that create more of a seamless experience across that supply chain ecosystem. So think about raw materials into production, out through distribution, or in transit and then to distribution. And then once they get into distribution, how do you skew and either merchandise and or deliver direct to consumer? And that whole start to finish from raw material to consumer hand product and consumer hand, the constant visibility of that merchandise or raw material to skew in customer hand um, also becomes critical. And that's currently a little bit of a breakdown in the ecosystem because we don't have that constant signal strength that's gonna allow us to track. And that's just a really um, academic example, but if you can, you take that and extrapolate that out and think, what is the retailer trying to produce in terms of experience, real-time capability for a consumer, et cetera, that 5G uh, capability is really strongly supporting that whole experience that the consumer is gonna look for and prioritize. So how do you, when you're working uh, with clients and how do you think about ROI in terms of 
investing in this infrastructure. And, you know, there's probably different avenues we could talk about. It's it's supporting it for flexible fulfillment, supporting it for the evolution of contactless transactions, and then also more immersive experiential retail. So I don't know if you answered in different buckets, but how do you think about ROI and how do you help, you know, your clients contextualize that when they're thinking about investing in IoT? I think that's a really good question because I think about that in the context of overall return on investment as opposed to point solution return on investment. And that's the mistake that I sometimes see uh, businesses make. They may look at certain capabilities one uh, or two at a time or in tandem or even sequentially and think, let's see how the performance of this piece goes, how the performance of that piece operates. And then how do you measure that? Are you measuring that just in terms of lift in consumer attraction? Is it lift in terms of sales? Is it lift in terms of uh, traffic, et cetera? Uh, and those, those are often futile metrics. It's much better to architect the overall experience you're trying to produce, make the investments and in what's gonna enable all of that and then evaluate the return on investment. So again, that's not evaluated after you've spent all the money, but I'm saying evaluate the entire ecosystem as opposed to individual points along the way. If you evaluate you know, the nut, the bolt, the hook, the hinge, et cetera, you're probably gonna come up with different ways you can optimize, but if they all don't work together, even though the unit costs on them were uh, individually optimized, uh, you may be defeating your own ROI objective overall. Does that make sense as an example? It does. it does, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's about taking that holistic view, right? And thinking about the customer's journey, which is not static. It has multiple points, that, you know, and, and each customer is going to have a different journey. So it's having that overall lens of how you're impacting them from a lifetime value standpoint, you know? Yeah, and business school students will cringe because, uh, <laughs> you know, if I don't explain this properly too, because, you know, it's not that return on assets and return on, Certain in, uh, investments can't incrementally be evaluated. But as I mentioned, I have seen retailers make an investment in a particular application like digital signage springs to mind. And just put in a digital sign and see, okay, does this give me lift? Is this attracting consumers? Am I getting more sales as a result? And that's probably not going to prove out as a, as a return on investment. But if you take that same digital sign and create an entire ecosystem where the consumer has shopped with you before and I can pull in their CRM. They've give that consumer has given me permission to reference that CRM and also to reference them when they come within radius of that digital sign. Does it say, hey Melissa, how are you? Good to see you again. Hey, I saw that you bought something by this designer last month. By the way, they have some new product out, uh, some new designs out. And by the way, they're in it comes in two of your favorite colors. Do you want to check that out? And shall I bring accessories in and create a whole experience for you? And that whole thing I just articulated is digitized. So you have some individual capability and then add magic mirror capability to that signage where you can start trying things on with accessories or change the color or change the length, et cetera, et cetera. And then say, yes, I like this. Can you get me this? And that this is your end product with all of your choices without having to actually touch anything I'm in the store, et cetera. Now you've got a whole ecosystem of a digital experience for a consumer that could be quite rewarding. No, absolutely. I, I think some of the challenges are for brands and retailers is finding a centralized way to kind of, I guess, bring all that data into 
some sort of dashboard experience where they're understanding how all of these touch points are attributing to the end customer. But hopefully we'll get there. Yeah, I don't think we figured that out yet. I will tell you with the retailers that I work with, and it's quite a few, a couple of things are very present today. Very first month of second quarter, 21, vaccinations are starting to become more broad. Uh, Restrictions are starting to ease, uh, et cetera. Number one objective is get customers back in my store. Brick and mortar is still expected to be the largest share of revenue. No matter what happened to e-com in the last year, brick and mortar is still expected to generate more revenue than e-com. Secondly, how do I differentiate that experience? Because three years ago, we were looking at digital experiences in store that were kind of fun and exciting and engaging or attractive or memorable, a destination. Now it's very different. It's not all about a destination. It's more of this whole ecosystem that I was describing earlier where the customer can feel safe, the customer can go out, The customer can be with other humans. Distancing is still going to be important. Sanitary is still going to be important, but they want an experience and that changes everything. So you may have to repurpose some of the investments and assets you had three years ago or start fresh, but that demand for digital has become even greater because number one, proficiency has accelerated in the hands of the consumer. And number two, our demands have gotten more intense. So think about, as a perfect example there, um, cashless transactions Mm -hmm. and curbside. That's not going away. We got spoiled by curbside. It's real comfortable to make an order and have that, you know, you pull up and say, oh, they recognize me because I either gave them permission to recognize my device or I gave them my license plate. Somehow I'm recognized. And associate greets me at the curb or in the parking lot and says, oh, Michael, your order's not quite ready. Go to parking space number four. I'll be there in under two minutes. And then you deliver and just pop the trunk. My merchandise is put in. It's correct. It's accurate. Or if it's food, it's hot. They close the trunk. They wave and say, thank you. See you next time. Or maybe they stopped four feet from the window and upsold you and said, hey, last week you also ordered this. So I throw that in. And that whole experience, that's not going away when COVID goes away. We like that as consumers. And the whole digital experience that creates that can actually be a real reward for retailers. When you think about it, I just reduced the amount of time that that consumer needs to spend in my footprint. And while that may be uh, legacy retail unintuitive, the truth is consumers care more about time and convenience now. So your ability to accommodate that and then personalize the order, create the loyalty, uh, create the individual experience, the whole digital experience that surrounded that, whether there was signage or an individual, et cetera, and the speed with which I got through, never had to get out of my car, that's all here to stay. Those are lessons that were learned by consumers and they were capabilities that retailers needed to develop quickly in order to remain competitive, but they're all gonna remain. Now they're gonna take a different form when we're ready to get back out of our car and start having interaction and experiences but somehow that capability is not going to fade away or disappear. No, absolutely. I think the fluidity in which we interact is going to remain. And it's going to be those brands and retailers who can deliver upon that, that that's going to harness that customer loyalty. And to your theme, 5G enables all of that in the most proficient way, mm-hmm. in the most proficient way. So what do you think the future is? Like, where do we go in the next five years? 
Oh, that's a tough question. You're asking me <laughs> you could take, ball question. Yes, yes. Like if you could dream, I don't know. Maybe it's what what's what is what does my five year old see? I don't know. You know, um, I think we're just going to get more and more uh, fluid with mobile and digital. I mean, if you even look biometric payments, I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this fluidity and the way in which we interact with the online offline world. Here's, here's what I, th I think I, I agree with you 2000%. Here's what I really speculate about. And that's that I think we're going to see less selling and more of a movement where the experience implores us consumers to buy and add to that. A really good experience gives me a reason to become your brand ambassador. So think about my social capacity Think about my um, buying patterns. Think about my digital uh, experience, your ability to scale my digital proficiency such that I really want to buy what you have and advertise it and promote it in my community. Technology is going to influence that in real time and 5G is going to carry that capacity. So whatever those digital uh, application or edge interfaces look like is probably going to change a little bit, but I really think that's going to be uh, what you would call fluidity of the capacity of the asset will develop with the proficiency of the consumer. But that's where I really think retail is going to shift the most. It's really going to turn into how do I create this environment experience where the consumer is in charge? I'm catering to that consumer's preferences and conveniences in a way that I'm not actually selling to them anymore. They just want to come and work with me and they want to be my best ambassador. No, that makes complete sense. And that I think, you know, that's the next phase of personalization. And it, it's true. It's if it's done well, you know, the joke we were saying, somebody posted on social media recently is like, I'm going to Target today. What are you going to buy? And the person responded, whatever Target tells me to buy. Yeah. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, so the experience is so intriguing and so inviting along the way for whatever reason, right, um, that you end up walking out with more than you expected. But I do think it goes along with personalization and, and empowerment. And I do think that consumers more and more are dictating what a brand and retailer has to deliver back to them. Yes. And depending on my capacity to marshal your preferences, my customer data on you, your willingness to engage as long as I don't get creepy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and then, as you mentioned, you know, uh, integrating personalization and loyalty, et cetera. If I enhance the micro moments that you experience with my brand, with our mobile application, that all draws you into this broader ecosystem we have where, again, I'm not selling, you're buying and you're delivering community as my brand ambassador. And I think that, again, that's where, you know, the whole digital game starts to take on enormous scale, particularly if we as retailers figure out where our adjacent adjacencies and partnerships are, because then together we start to work with all of our sub communities and consumers and whatnot and create this broader experience uh, or digital game, you could call it. But that's what I think consumers will engage with. No, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the silver linings, it's only going to get better. I think what retail has evolves to is only going to continue to get better um, because of our adoption as consumers of, of digital. 
I think we're about to make or break even more retailers right now too. This is more speculation, right? Just playing in the industry as I do. Consumers are, there's lots of economic analysis in the media today that supports pent-up demand, pent-up anxiousness, greater savings accounts. Consumers are ready to get back out and experience the world, shopping, retail, live again. But everything that we've just been talking about, Melissa, you know, to expect that consumers are just going to rush back to the way things were 18 months ago mm-hmm. will probably get you through the first very short interval. But our capacity to, as retailers, to hold on to expand and continue to, and get back to not only revenue levels that we are accustomed to, but then start to grow from there is all going to be, I really do, I'm very convicted that I think the technology and everything that we're talking about here is really going to be the distance setting difference. Absolutely. I agree. I definitely agree. Well, this time went by so quickly, Michael, but I want to thank you so much for the conversation today. And, you know, the possibilities were still in the early innings. But again, this was Michael Culinary, Vice President of Retail Restaurant Hospitality at AT&T. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's a pleasure always, Melissa, anytime. Thank you. Thank you.